what's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, September the 21st, 2020. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Number of ways to find this podcast. If you are an audio-only fan, you have Apple Podcasts, you have, uh, you know, a million different places you can find this thing. SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Really, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find it. It's not that difficult. Matt Bernier Show, easy enough. If you are someone who enjoys watching, especially when we have on guests, like Alex Kibrick this week for the Friday feature, taking a look at race number seven out at Santa Anita on Friday. That is the grade two Eddie D. Going five and a half furlongs on the grass. You can go on over to YouTube. In that search bar, type in Matt Bernier Show. You will find this episode, which happens to be episode 33, along with the 32 prior shows uh this week's show going to be relatively tight we'll start off with the friday feature with alex then we'll roll into a little bit very very brief touch on the winning your in races from up at woodbine this past weekend we had the grade one uh woodbine mile along with the two grade one races for the two-year-olds the summer stakes and the natalma and then we'll wrap things up with a little bit of uh football a little bit of wagering there go back and look and see how last week went and give you a couple of ideas Coming up for this week ahead. Uh, also, just very briefly, we'll go over the uh, the dismantling of Wingfoot by Bryson DeChambeau. But neither here nor there. Uh, let's kick things off, though, with the big one here. The Friday feature, again, if you want to get involved and be in the position that Alex Kibrick is in this week, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. I will, you know, contact you if you end up being the only winner. More often than not, we have multiple winners and we have to go to the random draw. But the only way for you to even be involved is to leave your selection beneath the video player. I won't take it on Twitter. I won't take it email. Leave your selection beneath the video player for race number seven at Santa Anita this Friday. It's the grade two Eddie D going five and a half furlongs on turf and to help us handicap it, we have Alex Kibrick. Without further ado, here is this week's Friday feature. All right, Friday feature time for a delayed Santa Anita opening weekend. Obviously, they had some issues this past week with the fires and the smoke and all that stuff. Sounds like everything's good to go. This Friday, race number seven, the grade two Eddie D. It could potentially be an important race leading into the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. I've made it abundantly clear. I'm, I suck at the turf sprints. Uh, I need someone else to lean on. And this week, lucky enough to be joined. Alex, have I been pronouncing your last name correctly? Alex Kibrick? That's correct. Perfect. Alex, uh, you have been someone who has commented and, and been along for the ride since jump so i appreciate that thank you for taking a little bit of time out and uh give us a little bit of ba- background on yourself yeah for sure i'm from brighton massachusetts and i grew up playing a lot of hockey and baseball and to be honest racing was never really a big part of my life until a couple of years ago when i started following the triple crown races just because of the potential to see something that hadn't happened since the 70s and Ever since American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown, I've just been an avid fan ever since. Now, you're you're a young guy. How old are you? I'm 22. Okay, so you're a proper young guy. And I have to be <laughs> honest, I'm not just saying this just to blow smoke. I feel like you're, the way that you sort of look at races after they've been run, and obviously leading into them as far as handicapping goes, I'm very impressed with sort of the overall viewpoint that you have on many of these races. What have you used to sort of get to the position where you are as far as your handicapping acumen? What were their books? Were there videos? What did you use to sort of kind of cut your teeth? To cut my teeth, to be honest, I really just look at the DRF formulator, the free race that they offer. I don't, I mean, at my stage of my life, I don't really have the disposable income to be putting a whole chunk of change into this. So I just look at the free races that they have and just try and pick up little pieces each race and just go from there. But I haven't really read a ton of books on handicapping, but it's something I'll just look to do going forward, I guess. That uh, that story sounds eerily uh, familiar because uh, I feel like I was just there not too long ago. So, um, you know, it, it is one of those things I would encourage folks. You know, Alex brought up the, the free race of the day that the Daily Racing Forum puts out. Typically, there is a video there. Uh, Illman and Beer still take care of that sort of stuff. I It's how I really first started learning. You know, I, I started reading books and, and all those sort of things. But the first thing that really kind of caught my eye was the free pass performances. I assume they still do that. And you get to go and hear these two guys who are two of the sharpest guys. I don't care what anybody says. They're two of the sharpest guys in the business. And 
Um, I was fortunate enough to work with both of them for a little while, but they, I think it's definitely a, a tool that if you have not used it, not just for the free formulator PPs, but to be able to go through and listen to the analysis that those guys offer up, uh, I would strongly encourage you to do so. Alex, as far as this race on Friday is concerned, again, five and a half furlongs on the turf out at Santa Anita, the Eddie D, I, I think this is probably going to be an important race because there are some rather talented runners in this spot. And, you know, uh, like I said at the top, I, I'm terrible at these races, these five and a half furlong turf sprints. It seems like I'm starting to get a little bit of, you know, see the light where speed is is really kind of the end all be all. Is that kind of how you go at these races? What's your overall sort of philosophy with these? With these types, I'd like to say speed is king, but uh, at Santa Anita, I think it can go either way. I've seen plenty of horses rally from three, four off of it and get all the money. So I think I think it just depends. Gulfstream, where I had the winner from last week, I think you really need to look towards horses on or near the lead. But in terms of Santa Anita, I think it can go either way, especially since they're just opening up the meet for the fall. I think one of the, the oddities, too, that at least I, I, I can't, say for for certain that this is how it plays out but i do feel like there is a difference it may not sound like it's a giant difference from a distance standpoint i think there is a pretty significant difference between five furlongs and five and a half furlongs i mean you think churchill has been one of the rare places where they have been able to run each of those distances where they've run five and five and a halfs and i feel like you do see a little bit of a difference there as far as leading into the Breeders' Cup is concerned, Keeneland, it will be run at five and a half furlongs. I feel like that's a track where horses do make up some ground from the back of the pack leading into a race like that. Because now we're at that point. I mean, we've only got a handful of weeks left before the World Championships. Do you look at certain races and the configurations that they're run and sort of upgrade or downgrade horses? You know, I'll just use this past weekend. We saw, we were looking up at Woodbine. We had a number of one-turn miles do you, do you look at that for better or for worse when you think about horses running in the mile at Keeneland going two turns? And as far as this is concerned, this is a five-and-a-half furlong turf sprint. Do you look at this differently than, say, a six-furlong turf sprint or a five-furlong turf sprint leading into the Breeders' Cup? It's a really good question. I think that, especially with Keeneland, you've said it before, it being a very quirky track. I think you have to look, especially towards the Breeders' Cup, at horses who have historically run well at Keeneland. So... In terms of putting five eight five eighths versus five and a half versus six, I don't really weigh too much into that. I think it's important to stick with the horses who have historically run well at Keeneland and go from there. Now, as far as this race is concerned, again, it's race seven at Santa Anita. If you want to be involved, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. The schedule is going to get a little bit weird coming up for the next few weeks, but we'll I'll dive into that at a different point. Um, again, selection beneath the video player. Won't take it on Twitter. Won't take it in an email, anything like that. I'll contact you if you're right and be in a position where Alex is. First things first, who do you think is the speed of the speed in here? Because I just at face value, I think there are a couple of horses who have proper speed, but I don't know that it's a race. I, I would have expected there to be more of a, a blistering pace in a race like this. Yeah, for sure. In terms of the pace scenario, I think three horses are going to be right up there. I think give me the loot. And Mr. Vargas are probably going to contest the lead with Big Renoir parked just outside, those two on the outside. And then I think Wild Man Jack will probably be sitting in the pocket just behind. And then I'd expect the two Peter Miller horses, along with Sparkyville, to just take back and look to close. And as far as, you know, you brought up a, a, a trainer like Peter Miller. Peter Miller seems to have a, a pretty solid record with these turf sprinters especially. Not that he doesn't do well with other types, but these turf sprinters, seemingly, they continue to run very, very well. Do you do you play in that in, into sort of your, your handicapping as well, taking into account, you know what, this horse may be on paper, doesn't look like they're necessarily up to par or up to snuff with the ones that they're going to run against, but you got to take anything that comes out of Miller's barn in a race like this seriously, or is that just something that you look at and you say, you know what, the horse tells me that they're not good enough? I think it's the latter. I think the horse tells me they're not good enough is the way to go. I think what, the one horse he has, I'm really interested in, El Tigre Terrible. He he might not be fast enough, but I think he has a really big chance to show that he's able to run with these types. I, I think his other runner, Grit and Curiosity, coming off that seventh-month layoff, I think it's a pretty tough ass to come back in this spot against these tougher horses. But I wouldn't put it 
put it past Peter Miller to get it done in this spot. This is also kind of a unique race because you go through and you see how so many of these horses are making surface changes. They're going from dirt to turf, or they're turning back in distance, or they're coming off of layoffs, whatever the case may be. And it just it makes the puzzle that much more difficult to sort of dissect and, and put together, try to put it together in your brain. And that's always the way that I'll typically go through. You know, you look at the pace situation and you try to draw up the way you think the race is going to be run. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on a horse that I don't want to call him a wild card because I think he's arguably one of the horses to beat. But what do you do with a horse like Wild Man Jack down on the inside for Doug O'Neill? Because the Shaker Town two back, all right, he went off favored and for whatever reason, you know, and frankly, I didn't watch the tape, so I don't know. Maybe it was a disaster trip. But you've got that big effort in the Daytona three back at this configuration, at this racetrack. But then they tried the dirt most recently, and that was on the heels of, I know there was a workout that Brad Free in the Daily Racing Forum had noted that it was a, an electric, an exceptional workout on the main track, so they took a shot. He didn't run poorly in that race, but what do you do with a horse like this? Do you look at it and say they were just getting ambitious in that Bing Crosby, or is there something to that? Yeah, to be honest with you, after breaking the track record at Maidan back in March, I thought he would come back to the States and just stamp his authority as the leader of the turf sprint division, and that just hasn't happened. I mean, having drawn the rail, I'd expect him to be much closer than he was in the Shaker Town two-back with Abel Cedillo aboard, where he was pretty much dead last, much of a running, didn't pick his feet up at all. And then last time, I, to your point, I think it was just an audacious move by the connections they wanted to get that Breeders' Cup win and you're in for the sprint. It just didn't work out. I didn't think he ran poorly. He was wide throughout. But with the surface changes and just going back to turf, I mean, I know he likes the configuration, but I just don't trust him at what will probably be pretty short price. You brought up LT Great to relate. That's uh, one of the two in here for Peter Miller going back to the turf, cutting back from seven eighths to five and a half here. A horse who has run well at five or five and a half furlongs in the past. Um, what is the overall thought here? Is this ultimately where you're going to go? This is definitely where I'm going to go. Um, I think looking back at his last time out or his race last time out going seven on the dirt, he looked a class apart from those. And then two back in the ocean side going a mile on turf, I think was too far for him. And then his start three back in the desert code is where you really need to look at him and say, he has a, he has a shot in here. He was coming off an eighth month an eighth-month layoff, and he was absolutely loaded at the eighth pole, and he just had nowhere to go in behind horses. He rallied late to be second, but he was much the best, in my opinion. And drawing towards the outside, I think Pratt is just going to take back and save ground along the rail and just look to make one run at the end. Well, I think to your point, too, I mean, this is a horse who very clearly he can run on basically anything. I'm sure if you if you made him run on synthetic, I'm sure he'd show up with a good effort because he's done it on everything thus far. And it's fascinating too that he's been as he's been as versatile to win races at five eights as he has at seven eights, and that's not a common thing. That's a pretty significant distance change. And running style wise, you're going to be a lot closer to the pace going seven eights than you are at five furlongs with a horse like this anyway with his running style. So for him to show that versatility, and I agree with you, they took a shot in the ocean side. I'm not going to hold that against him. Clearly, the two the two turns not to his liking. Delmar can also be a little bit of a quirky turf course where some take to it and some don't. But I think he makes a lot of sense in here. Is, is there any concern about the pace situation, given the fact that, again, they're probably going to go a little bit quicker early on, and he's going to have to really be kicking down the lane? Any concern about that at all? I'm really not concerned. I think Flavian Pratt is the perfect jockey for this horse. He knows this turf course like the back of his hand. I think he's going to judge it to perfection. I think the three up front that I mentioned are going to just contest the pace, and it's going to get it's going to get real quick. And then I think El Tigre Tribla is going to reel men right at the wire. So the Friday feature for this Friday is race seven out at Santa Anita, the grade two Eddie D. Alex is going to go with El Tigre Tribla, who, again, very logical horse, but I think one that you you might actually get a decent number on him. I mean, he's it's going to be interesting to see. I think a lot of it will depend on how they decide to bet the inside horses, whether it is Wild Man Jack, who I, I guess if I had to make a call right now, I think he'd probably be the favorite, but I'm not entirely sure. To your point as well, breaking from the inside, I'll be curious what kind of trip he works out in here. So you're probably looking at a decent number anyway, a playable number, I would say, on your horse in a spot like this. And before I let you go, and I know we've got a little bit of a time constraint here, 
Uh, just overall, your thoughts on the three-year-old landscape. We've got the Preakness coming up here in two short weeks. And then leading into the Breeders' Cup, which is only at this point about six weeks away. Going to be the first weekend in November down at Keeneland. Let's start off with the three-year-olds. I mean, overall, what are your thoughts after the Derby leading into the Preakness? Whether it is the law does or doesn't go, still looks like it should be a good race. Yeah, it should be a great race. I think it could arguably be a better contested race than the Derby. I think you look at the addition of a horse like Art Collector to contest the pace with Authentic, I think that could be noteworthy. And then Thousand Words, too. I really like Thousand Words. I think that if he gets a, that kind of stalking trip sitting 3-4 off of it and Art Collector and Authentic throw it down, I'm not writing him off at all in that spot. But in terms of the overall picture of the three-year-olds, I think it's tough. I mean, how are you going to pick three-year-old of the year? It's just, it's tough to pick between Tis the Law and Authentic. It's probably going to come down to the Breeders' Cup Classic, which is looking like a pretty salty race in itself. And that, that's the thing that I'm most excited about. Let's, you know, knock on wood, fingers crossed, all of the horses get to the Classic and we see them all throw it yeah. down because this could be, you know, I, I love when we have a, a prohibitive favorite, a great storyline. I love when there's an American Pharaoh running. I love when there's, you know, a, effectively a two-horse race in Arrowgate in California Chrome, that sort of thing. It's great theater, may not be the best wagering opportunity. I feel like this year, even with the presence of a horse like Maximum Security, I, I can't imagine him, if they all show up, and they all show up in good form, I can't imagine the favorite being anything less than two to one or five to two. And, and I think in many people's estimation, you know, if you're a big fan of Maximum Security, if you're a big fan of Tom's Detat or one of the three-year-olds, I mean, you're, you're, you're probably looking at, I think it's the thing that makes the Breeders' Cup as awesome as it is. You're looking at horses that in any other race by themselves, they would be a prohibitive favorite. In a race like this, you're probably going to get a decent number on any one of them. Yes, exactly. I think, especially this weekend, I'm looking forward to seeing Maximum Security and Improbable face off in the awesome again. I think that's going to be a key prep for the Classic in itself. But to your point, there are probably six or seven horses right now that could win the Classic and yeah, I just can't wait. I think one of the other interesting things to keep in mind, it looks, if, if all of Baffert's horses get there, they all have very similar running styles. They all want to be forwardly placed. And the classic, I think, would be that instance where, you know what, it's, it's the gloves are off. We're not, we're, we're not pulling any punches. Everybody's going for broke. And I don't know, I, I don't know how that would play out. I don't know who, you know, is willing to, to relinquish the lead. I don't know how fast they're going to go early on. All I'm suggesting is it could, just because, you know, I, look, I've made it clear, I don't trust Tacitus as far as I could throw him, but if you're a, if you're somebody who likes him, and at a mile and a quarter you think that's his ball game, and they go guns blazing early on, who's to say he doesn't come along and pick up some pieces? I also tweeted right before we end, uh, we recorded this here, the, the probables are the, I shouldn't say the probables, but the prospective field for the spinster at Keeneland in a couple weeks, I'll be down there for NBCSN. All of the big girls are, are scheduled to go. I don't know if it's going to play out that way, but Monomoy Girl, Midnight Beast, who um, she dares the devil and Swiss Skydiver are all scheduled to go in that race. If that's the case, it's the Breeders' Cup distaff four weeks in advance. I mean, I don't know what else you could possibly ask for in a spot like that. I think the distaff is going to be a fabulous race. The Breeders' Cup in general. When, when has the Breeders' Cup ever not delivered? This year, why would it be any different? <laughs> It, you know? it should it shouldn't be any different and hopefully for your sake you can take all the money down in the vcpc <laughs> yeah you and me both brother i'm hoping fingers crossed <laughs> we'll see what happens that's the that's where i am right now mentally i'm just trying to kind of start plotting out plans thinking about where most of the money is going to go you know who am i really going to kind of press and it's something i'm going to do here on the pod in a, probably a couple weeks time it's just too early right now we have this final round of preps whether it is at Keeneland or Santa Anita or Belmont or wherever it is, I don't want to start talking about divisions right now, knowing that things could change pretty dramatically here in the next two weeks. So uh, that will definitely be something that comes up in time. And hopefully, Alex, we can have you back on at some point, whether it's for one of these Friday features or just to chop up some other races. Uh, where can folks follow you on Twitter? On Twitter, I am at Alex Kibrick one 
Alex Kibrick, thank you so much for the help here. Thanks for doing this on sort of, I don't want to say short notice, but I was very late to give you the race until last night. You know, we were on air and then the Patriots game started and I had some homework. Just a million things going on. Thank you for doing this. Good luck this week and hopefully we talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Thanks again to Alex Kibrick for helping out with this week's Friday feature. Again, if you want to be in Alex's position next Monday, Beneath the video player on YouTube, you need to leave your selection. Just one horse. If you want to leave a little bit of a reason why, I would strongly encourage that. If you just want to leave the pick, leave the pick. Whatever your prerogative. But it has to be beneath the video player on YouTube. If you pick the winner, I'll contact you, and we'll try to figure out a time to get this thing done next Monday. A little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I am headed to Keeneland uh, next Thursday. So we'll do the Friday feature next Monday, but it, in all likelihood, it won't be for the following Monday's show. The following Monday's show will be the 5th, which uh, I don't think that's Columbus Day. I think Columbus Day is the next week. Point is, I probably won't have a guest on that week because I'm going to be in Lexington and I have no idea what the setup is going to be. It may not even be video. I have no idea. Just because being in a hotel, the Wi-Fi is hit or miss. So next week's Friday feature, that'll probably be actually plotting for two weeks in advance, just to get that on your radar anyway. Uh, yes, next Thursday I'll be down at Keeneland, or I'm headed to Keeneland anyway, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday. So the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 7th, we will be on NBCSN and TVG. The, the Saturday one is going to be in conjunction with the Preakness broadcast. We will be out at Keeneland while the Preakness is going on in Baltimore, and they will, will kind of go back and forth a couple times. So that's just to get that on your radar ahead of time. Let's talk about the win-and-you're-in races for the Breeders' Cup that happened at Woodbine this past weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Let's start off with the run on Saturday. The Woodbine Mile, Starship Jubilee, many people have pointed it out. If she's not the best, she is one of the best claims in, at the very least, recent memory. I believe they claimed her for 16 and now she's amassed over $2 million in career earnings. Um, she's a, She can win on in either country, Canada or the United States. Uh, the configuration doesn't seem to matter much. She's won at a mile and a quarter at Woodbine. She's won at a mile here in the States. She's won a one-turn mile up there. She's just a cool bear. She's seven years old, and it seems like she's at the best. She's better than she's ever been. So... Credit to the connections. I believe the buyer ended up coming back around a 102 or a 103. Um, and, and to me, that, that division as a whole, that mild division, it's just about as clear as mud right now. So she has as good a chance as anyone. I'm not going to talk anybody off of a ledge and, you know, oh, well, I like her and she's going to be 20 to 1. Good on you. Take a shot because I don't have any better idea. Um, I think the division is wide open. It's, to me, one of the races I'm most looking forward to. I like races where kind of, you know, I brought it up with Alex. I like races where you have superstars. And sure, maybe they're, you know, it doesn't become the greatest betting proposition if you think they're just going to win. But I like to see greatness. I like to see athletes go out there and perform to the best of their capabilities and potentially, in, in context, it end up being among the, the great performances or the great athletes that we've seen in some time. I don't know who doesn't enjoy seeing greatness. I also like seeing great betting opportunities. And I feel like the mile right now, I mean, who's your favorite for the mile? I don't even know who's scheduled to come over from Europe, if anyone. Uh, let me do a little real quick on the fly, just because everyone loves listening to me look shit up. Oops, excuse me, stuff up. Um, <laughs> slip of the tongue. Uh, we go over to Odds Checker, our friends over at Odds Checker, and where am I? Let's go to horse racing. Let's go to Antipost. Let's see what they have over in Europe uh, as some of the odds, the Breeders' Cup mile, what some of the bookies are putting out there as options. Breeders' Cup Mile, Pinatubo. I, you know, I, I, I'm way out of the loop on what's happening in Europe as far as racing is concerned. I don't know who is or isn't uh, planning on coming or scheduled to come. Uh, Palace Pier, a horse that uh, admittedly 
not real familiar with. Newspaper of Record is in at 8. Analyze it. Uh, Cameco. Some of these other horses. I mean, Circus Maximus, I've heard of that horse. Um, as far as our domestic horses, though, Mo Forza, Decorated Invader, Halliday. They're all in that 12 to 14 range. Raging Bull, Uni. I mean, this is a, it's a pretty wide open group. It's not like you've got any standout in here, unless this Pinatubo does come over here, and who knows, maybe maybe he will be a standout, maybe he won't. I have no idea. Point being, if you like a horse like Starship Jubilee this year, have at it. Go for it. Push your chips, because those are the opportunities that don't always present themselves, where you have a legitimately good grade one caliber mare, and she could be an afterthought in the race. And in a race like this, why would she be an afterthought or why should she be? That's probably the better way to put it. Because at face value, who, who are you afraid of? These are all nice horses, but there are no world beaters. I get it. Newspaper of Records Best is probably better than anybody else's. But do you know that she's going to deliver? Because I don't. I can't, I can't guarantee that she's going to fire her shot. So I'm, I'm on board with anybody that wants to get creative in that race this year. Uh, as far as the second and third place finishers are concerned, the Mark Cassie runners, March to the Arch, who I loved in that spot, and War of Will. I think March to the Arch, it's my opinion. I'd like to know, beneath the video player on YouTube, if you agree or disagree. I think March to the Arch was best in that race. I think if he has clean run, and he doesn't get a little bit bottled up at the top of the lane, I think he wins the race. Just my opinion, we'll never know. My opinion is that he was the best horse in the race selfishly i'm kind of happy that he didn't win because if they go to a race like the mile he's going to have a better price than he would had he won the race uh he's run well at keeneland in the past i've made it clear he's never been a superstar and he's probably still not a superstar for being honest but he's in arguably the best form of his career along with starship jubilee and i just i don't know i mean i i think he becomes a fascinating uh, sort of contestant at 25 to 1 you know, I don't, why, why is he completely hopelessly overmatched? As far as War of Will is concerned, two pieces there. I brought it up in Horse Players Happy Hour with PTF. I thought this race could potentially just be a means to an end. So I don't know that the connections are terribly disappointed. Yes, you would have liked to have won the race. But with him being close to the pace and getting tired late with that long stretch of Woodbine, I'm, I don't think they're going to be disappointed with the effort. He probably got the fitness that he needed, and he's going to deliver what he has at Keeneland. He has a victory over the Keeneland turf, which is uh, give him major bonus points for that. Having said that, that race, I said it all those weeks and, and a couple months ago now, back in July. I didn't think that Maker's Mark Mile was any good, and I still don't think it is, and I don't know that I want anyone out of it, regardless of the fact that we're going back to Keeneland and they're proven there. I just think I want to fade that race entirely, um, and I love War of Will, but I just... He doesn't do anything for me in a race like that. Uh, he could win, obviously, but he just, I, I, he didn't really do a lot for me in a spot like that. We'll see as we get closer and the division and the race becomes a little bit clearer who's going to go, who's not going to go. But um, that's my overall thought with those three. With the two-year-old boys, Gretzky the, uh, Gretzky the Great, um, they, I think it was the abundantly clear, correct call that, that he should not have been disqualified. He was 100 lengths the best. And if it had cost the runner-up a placing, I would have said, go ahead and, and make a change. Because you, I, that's, that's really my, my threshold. As long as you don't cost someone a better placing, then don't make a change. And in this instance, there was no scenario in which the runner-up, in my opinion anyway, was going to win the race. So don't make a change. Gretzky the Great was miles the best. Uh, and he becomes interesting because I still think he is very, very green and he can continue to improve. As far as the Phillies are concerned, I was much more impressed with Lady Spite Spears' effort than Gretzky the Great. And I don't, I'm not saying that because I think one is necessarily better than the other, although I do think that this Philly could be something here. It, it's just the circumstances in which they both won. Gretzky the Great, again, really nice horse. Green can improve. Sat a pretty good trip throughout. I know you sat just off ready to repeat. And you can make the argument that Lady Spite Spear did the exact same thing. And actually, even in a less impressive way, because she sat off a million to one shot. But the circumstances in which they both produced their efforts, to me, are 
it's what leads me to Lady Spite Spear liking that effort more so than Gretzky the Greats. Lady Spite Spear was very, very anxious in the gate. She actually reared up at one point. Emma Jane Wilson had to get off, got back on her. And yes, the trip worked out lovely, but this is her first time against winners. This is her first time sitting off of a target. Not only did she win, but she galloped out very, very well. For Roger Atfield, who it feels like when he has horses that win early, there's something there. Because Atfield's horses typically, I don't want to say along the lines of a Shug McGahee or a Bill Mott, but very much in that same sort of mold, they tend to get better with more experience and more age. So for this filly, Lady Spite Spear, to run the way that she has in two lifetime starts, well, we don't know about the two turns. We don't know about Keeneland. But I tell you what, I, I've been very impressed with what we've seen from her in those two starts. And I'm, I'm not taking anything away from the boys' race. I think you can make a, a case that many of these boys are going to improve. I think American Monarch getting back to two turns is going to be beneficial. Ready to repeat ran just fine. This is far from an offensive effort. Uh, Dolder Grand kind of plugged along at the end. And Gretzky the Great, again, he's very green, but he's got ability. There's no two ways around that. I just, I think the Phillies race to me could, I, I, I think the top two are both very good. And I think the rest of the girls in there, they just need some more experience because I still think they're all very, very green. They're all regally bred. But I think Lady Spite Spear and Alda, I won't be surprised if one or both of them end up figuring Breeders' Cup Friday. Not suggesting that Gretzky the Great won't, but I'm leaning more toward the girls' race than the boys' race. Another piece. I don't have time for them, U.S. speed figures. I, I, this is a, and, and for those of you that don't care about speed figures, just fast forward or mute this piece. I'm going to be fascinated to see what Craig Milkowski and company give these two races because the clock, the difference in the clock and their, their sort of closeness on the card. I mean, they were, they were only raced, the races went off what, an hour apart, 431, 538. So a little more than an hour apart, unless you think the track changed uh, pretty, I'm not going to say dramatically, but but changed enough. I failed to see how the boys race, Gretzky the Great, who stops the clock in 134.53, earns an 83 buyer. And Lady Spite Spear, who stops the clock in 134.61. So we're not even talking a full fifth of a second. We're talking about not even a tenth of a second. We're talking about what? Eight one hundreds, and yet the girls earn a fig that's six points lighter. That doesn't jive to me. That doesn't, unless you believe the turf changed in a in a a meaningful way over the course of an hour. Which I again, I have no reason to believe that to be the case. I don't see how they can be that far apart. If you want to say the boys. If, if you think the 82 is accurate, then I would say the girls are, they should be closer to the 81 range. I, I and, and really, I think that would actually make sense too, because if you believe, effectively, Lady Spite Spear, based on the buyers, ran her race from the debut. Uh, she earned a 75, now she earned a 76 here. Alda, theoretically, based on this, regressed, and I, I just don't believe that. She earned a 79 in the day, in her first figure here because she run a couple times earlier where there were no figs. And she earned a 74 in this spot. To me, if you make the Lady Spite Spear number closer to an 81, that moves Alda's number up to a 79, which makes sense. That's what she had earned before. Seasons, making her second lifetime start, she effectively, based on the figs that are given right here, she more or less ran the same race. I don't know that I believe that. If you tack on five points to it, that's that's well within the realm of possibility, her going from a 68 to a 74 in her second lifetime start. Uh, and I can say that about basically all these girls. Whereas with the boys, I'm not even trying to argue that the boys' race is too fast. It's more that the girls' race is too slow. And I just, I, I'm going to be very curious to see what time form does with the numbers. Because to me, again, without having par charts and all that, but just knowing how figs are put together... I don't see how they're. I don't see how these can be so far apart. These two races, they should be. I, I believe they should be much, much closer 
as far as the numbers are concerned. So I'm going to take the opinion right now that the girls' race is too slow on the buyer scale. That's just my opinion. We'll find out in time. I, and you know what? Conversely, it could be a, a matter of the boys' race being too fast. But I'm more inclined to believe the girls' race is, is too slow right now, and it should be actually faster than what the figures suggest. Again, you're going to need some other figures to sort of compare and contrast. But just based on sort of the, the ABCs, I think the girls' race is too slow on the figs. Uh, let me know your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube about all three of these races or any one in particular or any other races that were run this past weekend across the country and across the continent for that matter. Now, transition into a little bit of football. We'll go back and take a look and see how this past week went, week number two. And I've already got some action for week three. Let's get into it. Sports betting time. Uh, those of you that don't care, you can button this thing up right now. Those of you that are interested, here we go. We'll talk about briefly the U.S. Open. Um, say what you will. I was on board with Thursday being super pedestrian uh, as far as, you know, scoring a U.S. Open, I don't think should ever be that low. But they seemingly righted the ship for the most part. Um, and then you had a tour de force on Sunday given the fact that no one else in the final round shot below par, Bryson shoots three under, culminating in being the only player under par for the week, and not only is he under par, he's at six under, which is bananas. You know, right, wrong, or indifferent, what he's doing is working, and, you know, it's probably not that easy to just sit there and go, you know, oh, I'm going to go put on... 30 pounds. I guess it depends on what kind of frame you've got, but you also need to have an immense amount of skill. Uh, he's not my favorite player, but uh, you got to respect the hell out of what he's doing out there because it's working. And for the, those that are like complaining about it, isn't this the same exact stuff that they did with Tiger when he was 30 yards longer than everyone else? People started, you know, <laughs> I got, I got to watch my mouth. Um, they, they, they kept complaining about Tiger out there, you know, just bombing it by everyone. And, you know, I don't think the answer was make the courses longer. But people were, you know, complaining. Being an Emin about, you know, like, we, we can't play that game. Well, isn't that kind of a you problem? I recognize that the equipment goes a long way with this sort of thing but you know there's maybe it is all about the equipment but at the same time like for the circumstances yes he's winning because he can i mean i would love to maybe it is as simple as that maybe i just need to sit there and, and, and throw on 30 pounds over the winter and uh you know i'll, I'll go from my my one 110 swing speed to you know 125 who knows? I probably not, but you know, maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's how this thing changes. Anyway, as far as the wagers go, uh, I feel like this, the most steady of the ones that I mentioned last week was Webb Simpson, where he, he he never had a bad round. He just never had that exceptional round. I felt like he played pretty damn close to what I would come to expect from U.S. Open. Um, he's never going to be one that you know blows the doors off the field like a Bryson can. Thought he played well all around. Um, Justin Thomas, you know, I, I go back and listen to last week. I said, the thing that concerns me is he doesn't just have a miss. He has both. He's got the two way. He's got the left, the right thing. And Saturday was a dumpster fire. I just like, I, that was when things really went off the rails and, and he never got it back. Um, obviously he's a better player than that, but he just didn't have it this week. Uh, my my bomb, my long shot, Adam Hadwin, he did. He stuck around for a long, long time. And I thought on Sunday, Sunday morning, I'm watching the scoreboard. And I'm saying, come on, man, just just keep it together. Get us a top 40. We'll get in there. We'll take that two and a half to one. And at least that'll get us out for, for these bets. And he just, he couldn't, couldn't quite hack it. He ended up shooting 80 on Sunday. So, you know, it is what it is. Unfortunately, it didn't work there. And then... The one who I really did think, again, I, I last week I gave him my air quotes pick. And, I, damn, the guy can't putt. Hideki, and let's be fair, Sunday, putting was not the problem. He just, he didn't play well on Sunday. But he was in position on three different occasions to just 
just make anything. Not telling you to go out there and start rolling the rock like, you know, Brad Faxon, but Jesus, make anything. Instead, you know, much of the same. And shame on me. I knew it going into it. And why would I think a U.S. Open is going to be the, the place that all of a sudden he puts it together on the greens? But Hideki, Hideki's a proper ball striker. He can, he can, he can really pound it out there. And his short game around the greens is exceptional. So he's a guy just, you know, maybe he's got to just change up something with the putter. I don't know, change your grip, change the length of the putter, do something different. Because, <laughs> again, very easy for me, you know, to, to sit here as um, – it's easy for me to sit here as a three handicap and be like, hey, guess what? Your putting stinks. You're a professional, but neither here nor there. You beat me by 10, but who's counting? Anyway, uh, as far as the football goes, I don't have any, any golf bets this week. Football bets. Last week was a very good week, and I will never, ever, ever. You can't trust the Buffalo Bills. I don't care. I, there were so many people, even some of my friends, saying that, you know, the, the Bills are going to win the division this year. Now, BS. Said so the Patriots are going to win 10 games, and they're going to win the division because Buffalo is going to find a way to, to screw this thing up. And look at look at Sunday as the example. I know Miami's good, and I know it was in Miami. Well, they're not good. Miami's a, a, a plucky team, and it was in Miami. But I don't trust Buffalo. They screwed up the parlay for us, for me. The parlay ultimately was Arizona minus 6.5, the Bengals on Thursday night plus 7.5, the Colts minus two and a half, and the Bills minus six. And they were up 11 late in the game. And they still couldn't hang on. So that was an L. Individual. Uh, well, let's get into the teaser first, though. Tease the Cardinals down to minus one. The Bengals plus 12. The Bills just in a pick. And the Colts plus three. Got that one back. That was a win for uh, a few hundred dollars. So that was good. Individually. I played the Cardinals minus seven at even money. And I tell you what, not just because the, the 49ers got absolutely ravished by injuries. I mean, look, everybody got destroyed by injuries this weekend. But the 49ers especially, they got beat up pretty badly. I think the Cardinals are legit. I don't know if they're Super Bowl legit. I don't know if they're even winning the division legit. But I think they're going to make a team like Seattle earn it. I still think Seattle is Seattle, to me, Seattle and Arizona are one and two. I know LA is two, uh, is two and oh, but they beat up on a, you know, they won week one. I thought that was a good win. I, I believe in Dallas. People can roll their eyes, say what they want. You know, Dallas, we know who they are. They, they tend to choke in certain spots. I think Dallas is good. I think Philadelphia sucks. So I, I don't want to give LA any real credit for that win yesterday, but I'm looking at it saying, I think Arizona's right there with Seattle. And, and I think Seattle's a top three to five team. I mean, that game last night against New England was fantastic. Top to bottom, awesome to watch. I have no problem with the play call at the end of the game. I, I had some folks on Twitter really giving me a hard time saying, everybody and their brother knew the play was coming. What's your point? To Belichick's point after the, after the game in the, in the presser, somebody asked him, you know, and he's like, we, we ran our best play. What do you want? Us to try something that we're not as confident in? It had worked all game. There's no, I have no beef whatsoever with the play call, even if it didn't work. No beef at all. But point being, I think Seattle's really good. I think Arizona's really good. And somehow, as we transition into this week, they're minus six and a half on the road. No, they're home. Even crazier. Even crazier. They're not even a touchdown favorite against the Detroit Lions. I think Detroit stinks. Uh, Arizona minus six and a half at minus 110. Uh, We'll take them to win. I already have this bet in. Uh, Sunday night, Chiefs at the Ravens. Should be a fantastic game. I think the Chiefs are still the best overall team, despite that little hiccup they had this weekend. And I know they pulled it out. I'll tell you what, uh, Bucker might be the best kicker in the league. Might be This actually might be the showdown of the two best kickers in the league. Harrison Bucker and uh, Justin Tucker on Sunday night. I think the Chiefs are a better overall team than the Ravens are. Uh, I think Lamar is awesome to watch I think they've got some interesting little pieces you know here and there uh, but in the grand scheme of things I think Kansas City top to bottom is a better team than Baltimore is Kansas City is on the road catching three points now in any other year 
I think that's fair. You want to call it a pick? You want to say home field's worth three? Great. I, I, as far as I know, I don't think there are fans that will be there. In I don't know. I don't think Maryland is allowing fans. So I guess it's a road game, but it's isn't it kind of a neutral? It's not a neutral field piece, but you get what I'm saying. Like, is it really worth a full three points? I don't think it is. So if you even wanted to say split it in half to one and a half, uh, you know, give me the Chiefs. Plus three on the road, minus 110. Took that, boom, straight up. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I believe in the Bengals. I don't think they're a playoff team. I mean, heck, they might not, they might not win six games this year. But I think, you know, they were talking about it on the game during the game Thursday night. They, I think they've, I, I think Burrow is legit. I sweat Joe Burrow. I think he's, I think he is good. And and you know, I, I've talked about it before. I don't watch a ton of college football anymore, really, mainly because racing. You know, our Saturdays are typically locked, you know, locked up. That's when all of our biggest races are going on. So I'm not really paying much attention to college football. When I watched him at the end of last year, I was like, the kid, the kid throws darts. And I like the athleticism. He is not a guy who's going to go just take off like a Kyler Murray. But if he needs to move around in the pocket and he can scramble for a little bit, he, he's fully capable of doing that. And through two games, I've been impressed. I think the kid's good. And I think, I think the Bengals are all right. They are on the road at Philadelphia. And I said it a few minutes ago, and I'll say it again. I think Philadelphia stinks. I don't think they're any good. Uh, Carson Wentz, I think, is is wildly overrated. I know people have talked about its injuries, it's this, it's that. Well, there's always something. I don't think he's any good. I he I don't think he's. I shouldn't say that. I think he's fine. I don't think he's nearly as good as people have made him out to be. I think that his rookie year, when he was basically the MVP through 12 weeks or whatever it was, and they tore up his knee, I feel like that's what everyone goes back to. He has moments, but like I. I don't think he's a top 10. He's probably a top half. He's probably a top 16 quarterback. I don't think he's a top 10, though. Um, that's just my opinion. And that's not me saying that as as an Eagles hater. You know, I know they beat the Pats a few years back, but, like, I, I don't I don't hold grudges like that. I don't care. What difference does that make? Especially when I'm trying to bet, I'm making money. I, I, you got to look at things objectively. I don't think Philadelphia is that good. So the Bengals on the road... Plus seven. I, I bought a half point. It was plus six and a half just for insanity insurance. I'll forfeit a couple bucks. I moved it to plus seven. Minus 125. I like the Bengals on the road. I thought about picking them outright also. I didn't have the uh, the the gumption to do so. So I will just stick with the, the number. Uh, I have the Bengals plus seven on the road against the Eagles. Then we have parlay and teaser action that I put together. And it, it's the same as last week. I added one team that I didn't bet outright to this situation. And I guess it could be a little bit of a, a smelly line. It could be a little bit of a stinker. Uh, something doesn't seem right here. Uh, the four-team parlay. Chiefs plus three at the Ravens. Cardinals minus six and a half home against the Lions. Bengals plus six and a half on the road against the Eagles. Pittsburgh Steelers minus four and a half at home against the Texans. Uh, I don't think very highly of the Texans. I don't know that I love Pittsburgh, but the, the four and a half feels weird. Because I, th- I feel like they, you know, if you're incorporating home field, I mean, that, that's, and if we're just using sort of the old school three-point number, I mean, is it really, are they really that close? Are they a, a point and a half difference? I don't think so. Outside of Deshaun Watson, what is that team? I, you know, I, and I get it, and I'm not including J.J. Watt, but, like, David Johnson looks like he's got a little bit of life left. Great. Will Fuller, it's a matter of time before a wheel falls off. Like, what What are they? I don't think they're that good. And Pittsburgh, yeah, I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're not what they've been in the past, but Roethlisberger, at least it looks like, from what I've seen, he can still throw the ball, you know, coming off the, uh, the Tommy John. And James Conner? Maybe he's not a superstar, but he's still good. Still very serviceable. They've got nice weapons outside, led by Juju. Um, I I think Pittsburgh's all right, and I just I don't love Houston. So 
incorporated in that parlay is the Steelers minus four and a half. With the teaser, same four teams, but I blew this one out. This is the old uh, 10-pointer. So you're more or less looking at, I think it's plus 110. What this one ended up working out to? Somewhere around there. I believe it's, it's yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's plus 110. Uh, Bengals plus 16 and a half. Steelers plus 5 and a half. Cardinals plus 3 and a half. Chiefs plus 13. Uh, I'll be devastated if that one doesn't win. I don't. I just, I, I mean, every, every one of them is catching points. And arguably the two that I'm most confident in are now plus three and a half and plus 13. So I, who knows? Anything can happen. It's the NFL. It's a very difficult game to play. But uh, there you have it. Those are my plays for this coming Sunday. I really like the Cardinals game, minus six and a half. I'm all I'm I'm pushing that Cardinals thing until until Vegas and the uh, those who make lines correct. I'm gonna keep pounding the Cardinals, just because I I think they're I think they are legitimately good. Um, I think the Chiefs are a better team than the Ravens. I'll take the three points on the road. Uh, the Bengals I think are decent, and this one is just as much about me thinking they're decent and thinking that Philadelphia is not so decent. Uh, so I'll take them. Again, I bought that half point to seven. Uh, and then for the teaser in the parlay, Pittsburgh, I just, I'm not sold on Houston and Pittsburgh at home. Roethlisberger looks like he can still do a little bit. I'll take them as well. So let me know. Thoughts? Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. That's going to wrap things up for episode 33 of the Matt Bernier Show. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Please rate, review, and subscribe if you listen wherever the podcasts are. We need those ratings, please. We need those subscriptions. Need you to sub- subscribe. Make sure you get the notifications. If you're over on YouTube, make sure the bell icon's lit up. You get a notification anytime the In the Money channel uploads something new, whether it is the Matt Bernier Show, whether it is Horse Players Happy Hour, whether it is the Racing Picks Players Podcast. If you want to check out everything that In the Money has to offer, head on over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com. This show. The flagship show in the Money Players Podcast, the Racing Picks Players Podcast, Nick Luck's Daily Podcast, Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker, The Red Board Rewind with Spencer Luganbuehl, JK Plus One with Jonathan Kinchin. There's a million things over there. Best part is it's all free. If you want my analysis throughout the week, not just on Saturdays, Saturdays there are videos posted for Racing Picks, but written analysis Wednesday through Sunday. Head on over to racingpicks.com. It's entirely free. All you need to do Put in your email address, and you're good to go. Again, you can follow me on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. The Friday feature for this week is Santanita race number seven. Leave your selections beneath the video player on YouTube. Thank you again to Alex Kiprick for helping out this week. Until next Monday, this has been episode 33 of the Matt Bernier Show. Good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.